If you're new this morning, we're going through a series simply called Inspired, and we're taking the Bible in order. And uh, we're doing this between August and May, so we can't get every individual book done. And today we're taking three books, uh, and uh, you'll just have to do some of your own study on the two that I don't get to. But today is Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And if you're just getting started, pick up some of the sheets of material out in the, uh, in the foyer and uh, join us for, uh, for the study on God's Word over the next several months. When we meet around the table, <clears throat> the theme of that is redeemed. We are celebrating what God did to redeem us. That's a word we use quite frequently, but we don't often take time to define. Its basic meaning is, is simply this, to buy back again. It's like a pawn shop transaction. You, you take something into a pawn shop, you sell it. Uh, later, you regret that you sold it. You go back to the pawn shop and you buy it back, but this time you pay more money than you got. That is to buy back again. But that's not the only use of the word redeem. It also means to take something which is bad or unpleasant and make it better. Redeem can also mean to exchange Today, certain businesses and credit cards give you reward points. You make a purchase and you get points. You collect enough points and you can redeem them for flights, hotel stays, rental cars, and miscellaneous merchandise. Any of you in here old enough to remember SNH green stamps? Let me see your hands. Ah, yeah. You used to collect SNH green stamps, put them in a book, and then you took them to a redemption center where you could exchange that book of stamps for a prize or a gift or some merchandise. So you say, okay, then what definition of redeem fits the concept of redemption through the Bible? <clears throat> they all do. The whole concept of redemption weaves its way through God's Word. Sometimes it points to the fact that God has bought us back or freed us from captivity in sin. God has also taken the bad that has happened in our life, and out of it can bring good. And someday, we'll exchange this mortal, broken life for eternal, immortal life. All of these pictures are wrapped up in what God's plan is, and perhaps no three Old Testament books capture that overarching picture better than Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. <clears throat> now, I hope, while we're going through this series, if you do not know the books of the Bible in order, that you're, you're memorizing them as we go along. I, anybody working on that? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right, from here on out, once you start working on this, this is a perfect time to learn the books of the Bible in order so that when you're looking for something, you don't have to go to the uh, table of, uh, uh, of contents. Uh, first five books are the books of the law. They're easy to remember. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of, of Moses. Then come these next three, and these are easy to remember in order too. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If you read it like that, sort of like a sentence, it sticks. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Okay, those are the next three. There you get the first eight. Now, keep working on those. All right, we're going to memorize all through the Old and through the New Testament as well. Well, here's this picture of redemption. In Joshua, God redeems his promise, his promise to give the Israelites a land of their own. They cross through the swollen floodwaters of Jordan. God peels back the waters just like he had done 40 years ago at the Red Sea, and they cross over into the promised land, and thus begins the conquest. In Judges, God redeems his people over and over again from captivity. The book of Judges ends with these words, very last verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. There's the problem. 
And there is this cycle that happens over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Uh, they start out spiritually healthy. And the spiritual health leads then, after a period of time, to apathy toward God. And then the apathy toward God and God's Word leads to an indulgence in sinful living. And then God, as a result of their sinfulness, disciplines His people as a consequence for their sin. After a while of discipline, they repent, and God redeems them and brings them right back to the beginning of the circle where they are spiritually healthy again. And when you read through the book of Judges, it happens over and over and over again, and God raises up a judge to bring redemption to the people. By the way, you need to take note of the fact that that cycle is still going on. We can sometimes take our spiritual health for granted, slip into apathy, slip into sin, and God wants us spiritually healthy and may just discipline us when we need it as a loving Heavenly Father. So God redeems his promise in Joshua, redeems his people in Judges, and then in Ruth, God redeems a person. The story of Ruth is like a parenthetical chapter out of the book of Judges. The book of Ruth opens with these words, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, see this is happening during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This is during one of the discipline stages in the cycle. Israel is at a low point. There is a famine that has come into the land of Judah and struck the region of Bethlehem where the family of Elimelech lived. Now, the grass didn't just look greener on the other side of the fence. It was greener in Moab. The country of Moab was just east of the Dead Sea, and it was about 25 miles wide and 50 miles long, and it was known for its lush, fertile ground, a great place to raise crops. And especially when you're looking at that ground from the famine-stricken city of Bethlehem, <laughs> Elimelech thinks, this is the place to be. So he moves his wife and his two younger sons to the land of Moab. Not a wise choice. May I suggest to you this morning that it is always better to remain under the discipline of God than to move away from God when times get tough? When life is difficult, that's not the time to run from Him. That's the time to run to Him. Now, I don't mean to suggest that God was somehow limited to the borders of Israel. That's not the point. But you've got to understand, the Israelites are God's chosen people through whom He is going to send the Savior. And Elimelech says, I'd rather live in Moab, this pagan territory, than live under the discipline of a loving God. In Moab, you've got to understand, it may have had lush, fertile pasture land, but it was a spiritual wasteland. The principal god, the principal deity of Moab was, a, was an idol by the name of Chemosh. And, and to Chemosh was required child sacrifice. This is the territory into which Elimelech moves his family. Does the grass look greener somewhere else to you? What's your Moab this morning? Is it friendship with somebody in school who lacks character and integrity? You think, I'd like to hang out with that person. They seem to be kind of neat. Is your Moab a less than honest business deal that's pending? Is your Moab that coworker down the hall who's been flirting with you for the last three or four weeks? Be careful. Moab holds no promise. 
Stick close to God's family, the church, during the times that are tough. Get involved, all right? Don't, don't just come on a Sunday morning. Find a way to plug in. Join a class, seize an opportunity to serve. Take a short-term mission trip. Volunteer to work in the children's department here or the youth ministry or some other aspect of the kingdom work here. Commit yourself to a small group that meets in a home or meets here at the building. There's dozens of different ways that you can become involved, but that takes your choice. We can help you find that way if you will simply make that commitment. I'm, I'm telling you, there will be times when famine will hit your life, when, when it, it's tough. And I don't want you running off to Moab or something that will take you farther away from God than ever. So stick close to his family. In the tough times, run to, not from, our God. By the way, the name Elimelech means God is my king. His name may have said God is my king, but his actions indicated otherwise. Now, do you know what happened to Elimelech's family when, when they got to Moab? It wasn't long until Mo, um, Elimelech himself died right there in Moab. Now his wife Naomi is a widow, and within 10 years, his two sons who had grown up in Moab and married Moabite women, they also die. And so now you have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, who are grieving the devastation of losing their husbands. We are not told why they died. It might have been of natural causes, but it might have been from something that took place in Moab. Another reason it's dangerous to run away from God. Naomi is bitter. As a matter of fact, she's angry with God. In, in chapter 1, she says, do not call me Naomi. The name Naomi means pleasant. She said, you call me Mara, and the name Mara means bitter, because she says, for the Almighty has made me bitter. Now, folks, it is difficult to understand the tragedies of life. The, the longer I live, the longer I minister, the more perplexed I become when bad things happen to good people. Uh, and, and if you text in that question, I won't answer it, because I don't have an answer for it. There is no answer why bad things happen to good people. It seems like sometimes the nasty people of this world just thrive and, and, and the good and kind people of this world suffer. And you think, God, how could this possibly be? The, the only thing I can tell you this morning that we live life in a broken world. I, I've told you that a lot. I want you to remember this is a broken world. This is not the way God wanted it to be. And in a broken world, bad things happen to good people. And you need to stay true to God during those times because only life in Jesus Christ really makes sense in this broken world. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we pray them. Sometimes God does not intervene to spare us the difficulty. But I can tell you this, that God is the only one that can take the tough times of your life and out of those tough times, out of those bad times, out of those unpleasant times, bring something good. Remember, that's one of the definitions of redeem. So stay close to God during these times. Well, Naomi blames God. And, I, and I'm always curious as to why we forget that there's somebody else that deserves blame as well. I mean, why is it that we always want to lay the blame at God's feet? There is the arch enemy of God that would love nothing better than to cause us to lay down our faith and run from God, but we never blame the devil. We always just blame God. Naomi said, the Almighty has made me bitter. Not so. God can take your bitterness. 
and turn it back into joy. And we're going to see that happen here in just a few moments. So Naomi uh, prepares to uh, return to Bethlehem. Nothing is keeping her in Moab now, and she encourages her daughters-in-law to return to their Moabite families. And Orpah does exactly that, but Ruth, Ruth is determined to go with Naomi. And you say, is that because Naomi is so lovable right now? And I'm going, "Mm, I don't know. You know, any woman that says, call me bitter, is not you know, is not the lovable type that you're thinking about. I think what, what Ruth has found and discovered in Naomi and living in the family, she has discovered the true living God. I think this is more about her faith and going to the land where God has blessed his people than it is necessarily because Naomi is so lovable. Now, she does love her mother-in-law. That's true. And Naomi loves Ruth, and that love just becomes even stronger as the years go by. But I think this is about faith more than family at this point. The most endearing words of the story come out of chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And and you've oftentimes heard them quoted at a wedding, completely out of context. Beautiful words, but it has nothing to do with a wedding, has nothing to do with a husband and wife. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. What you need to see here is that Ruth is not talking about God in the generic sense of the term, as if, okay, I think I like your God better than I like my God. No, 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 no. Ruth has come to the point where she's identified this this is the living God. This is the only God, and she uses his personal name, just like Dwight and Dwayne sang a few minutes ago, I am. That's the word that she uses here. The great I am, she says, may I am do to me, be it ever so severely, if anything separates the two of us. Here is this pagan woman who now demonstrates more faith than any member of the family up to this point in time. What's more, Ruth keeps her promise and her commitment to God throughout her life. And here's, here's the cool part. You and I are here today because she kept her, her promise. Ruth has more to do with your story than you can possibly imagine. So hang on, the story gets even better. Chapter 2 opens with a hint of good news. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Naomi and Ruth returned at the beginning of the barley uh, harvest. Now that would have been in the spring of the year, around April or May, and Naomi uh, had heard, this is in Ruth 1, 6, uh, when she'd heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people. We know now that God was blessing the land again. They're in that repentant stage, and God is bringing them back to spiritual health again. That's when they decided to go back. Um, once home, however, when you are a widow, and both of them were widowed, you have no men in the family to help, nobody to, to work the ground that still belonged to Elimelech. Your only option was to glean in the fields after the harvesters went through. Now, this was a part of God's plan in the Old Testament. He, would, he commanded the people to leave the corners of their fields intact 
so that the poor of the community who didn't have any way of harvesting could come in and they could take food from the corners of the field. He also said, if you're harvesting and you drop grain on the ground, don't pick it up. You leave that for the poor of the community to come and get. Same thing with vineyards. You know, you, you leave the corners of the vineyards untouched. If the grapes fall to the ground, you let the poor come in and take that. And so Ruth goes into the fields of Boaz to glean as a poor person. Now, the text in Ruth uses phrases like this, as it happened, or, and while she was there. And, you know, and, and all these words seem to say, oh boy, isn't that a lot of coincidence? No, 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 no. When you read through the book of Ruth, we're not talking about coincidence here. We're seeing God weave the story and bring about certain circumstances for his glory. Now, do you know the difference between a miracle and providence? A miracle, which doesn't happen very often in Scripture, but a miracle is when God suspends the laws of nature that he created to do something, well, miraculous. The parting of the Red Sea is a miracle. God suspended the laws there. Uh, the, the water rolled back, walls of water. The Israelites walked across on dry ground. That, that's, that's a miracle. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, it, it is a miracle. God suspended the laws of death so that he might be resurrected. Providence is when God works through the ordinary channels and things of life to bring about his will. And that's what we see here. Ruth just happened to go glean in the fields of Boaz, and Boaz just happens to come out that day from in town and so forth and so on. And so Boaz sees this young woman gleaning in the field. He asks his foreman about her. He says, oh, she's a really good worker. Do you know, boss, she's only taken one break all day long? And he's, he takes note of Ruth and um, News is already, tra you know, Bethlehem is not a big area. News has already traveled fast in Bethlehem. Her reputation was such that everybody knew that she had left her homeland to stay close to her mother-in-law and come to Bethlehem. And so Boaz takes note of her, and he begins to encourage her. Um, she had um, followed the workers into the field, and so at lunchtime he says, you come and eat with us, and he gives her more food than she can handle, and, and, and she says, why are you being so kind to me? And he says, because your reputation of kindness has preceded you. When the harvesting resumed, he told the harvesters, don't embarrass her if she picks up more than she should. As a matter of fact, guys and gals, just let her harvest with you. Just let her ride up in the ranks, and, and drop a little extra on the ground so that she hasn't. When she gets home that night, she's got two-thirds of a bushel of barley grain, and Naomi is overwhelmed. She says, where did you get so much grain? And Ruth tells her the story, and then you, you can just see the light bulb click on in Naomi's brain. Naomi says, praise God, that's one of our kinsmen redeemers, talking about Boaz. And then, the matchmaker gene kicks into overdrive in Naomi, and her eyes begin to sparkle because for the first time in the story, there is this glimmer of hope. And so chapter in, one ends on a note of discord, but chapter two unfolds with this beautiful promise. Something is happening. And usually when you read the story of Ruth, you think of, well, what's happening is Ruth and Boaz. Uh, it, it, that's true, but that's the secondary story. What's happening here is God's providential care to take the poor circumstances of life and turn them into glorious circumstances. It is God's love story. It is God drawing Ruth to him.
And that's what we need to see in the story. Now, here's some quick lessons to take away from what we've already discussed. First of all, guard your reputation. Your reputation really matters. Ruth had not been in Bethlehem long, but her goodness and faithfulness were already legendary, and that made the difference. Boaz went out of his way to provide for her because she was so selfless. People love to be around people with a good reputation. We love to be around people who are selfless and kind and loving and giving. You guard your reputation and your character. They matter. If you can't be trusted, if you aren't honest, if you are self-centered in the long run, you're going to find yourself failing miserably. You might succeed a little in the short run, but down the road, the whole thing is going to collapse like a house of cards. Your reputation as a person, and more importantly, as a Christian, really matters. Guard it carefully. And, And then work hard. Ruth didn't go into the field expecting a handout. She worked as hard as any of the harvesters. Remember, they said she's only taken one break all day. Hard work brings blessing. Hard work honors God. Third thing, trust God. Naomi had almost given up, but where God's concerned, don't ever give up. Can I remind you of one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21? When you think about giving up, when you think that God doesn't know what's going on in your life or God isn't answering your prayers or God isn't helping you, when you're ready to just head off to Moab, I want you to remember this verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You hang on to that and trust Him. Even when you can't see what's next, trust Him. He'll provide. Well, Naomi's life has been re-energized by the hope that she still might have a family. And so, as chapter 3 opens, this this is what we read. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he will tell you what to do. I'll do everything you say, Ruth replied. Now, you got to understand the custom of Leverite marriage at that day and time was if a man died and he had no heir, then the man's next oldest brother was to marry his widow, and the first child that they shared in that marriage would be raised as the child of his deceased brother. That way his brother did not lose an heir. Okay, that was called the custom of Levite marriage. By the time we get to the book of Ruth, it is expanded not to your next brother, but to your next kinsman, a kinsman redeemer. Okay, got the picture? All right, Naomi, Naomi's got it going. All right, she's got all the plans. She says, now you, you get all dressed up, you put on your finest, and you go up there, and at night you lay down at his feet. And, and this is what happens in the rest of the story. People sometimes say that this is um, probably not a proper thing to do, but there was nothing improper about what happens here at all. 
The, the threshing floor was such a, that was on a hill so that the wind would drive away the chaff. And when all of the winnowing and, uh, was done, they would pile the grain in the middle. Then all the men who had been doing the work that night, they would have this religious festival. And then after the festival, the men would all lie down like spokes in a wheel, their heads toward the grain, their feet toward the out, and they laid there to protect the grain. Nobody could get through to get to the grain. No animal could get through to get to the grain. It was a protection thing. And so after the feast is over that night, why Naomi makes her way to the floor and she notices where Boaz is lying. She lies down and uncovers his feet, and in the middle of the night, he wakes up to find somebody at his feet. Now, that's got to be an unnerving moment at the threshing floor. You go to sleep, there's nobody there. You wake up in the middle of the night, she's there. And, and, you, and you say, what, what, who, who are you? And she answered in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. So spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. That spread your garment over me is exactly the same kind of phrase that Boaz had used to her earlier in the story when he said, under my wings, as if to protect her. What, what Ruth is saying here is simply this, spread your wings over me as a husband would do for his wife. I want you to marry me. And you say, boy, that's bold. Yes, it was, but it was the wisest thing she could have done. There's no indiscretion here. It is her making the overture to say, I want to become your wife. And Boaz loves it. He says, you haven't gone after the young men. You have come to me. Now, I know there's no indiscretion going on here because in the New Testament, we are reminded to avoid the very appearance of evil, and they do that. He sends her home with an offering of, of food for Naomi as thanking her for making this happen. And she leaves before dawn so that she is not recognized. And, and, and Boaz, being the older man, is honorable before all. I read one commentator who said Boaz was a lot older man. He was 45. Boy, did that hurt when I read that. <laughs> now, I'm here to tell you, you cannot put a price tag on character and reputation. She has maintained her reputation. Boaz has maintained his character and reputation all the way through. You may be able to fool some people, but you'll never fool God. Now, again, the heart of the story is not romance, even though there is a very beautiful story here between them. How does the story end? It's the story of redemption. This is God's story, okay? Uh, surely you've guessed by this time that Boaz does marry her. A and he becomes, in that sense, her kinsman redeemer. And they had a son, and they named him Obed. And Naomi becomes a grandmother. Far from being bitter, isn't it? See how God redeems even the tough moments of our life? And, and so she becomes a grandmother, and Obed has a son by the name of Jesse, and Jesse had several sons, the youngest of which was named David, a shepherd boy who became known as the man after God's own heart. Just think, folks, Ruth's great-great-grandson David, born in Bethlehem, becomes the king of Israel, which means her much more distant descendant, also born in Bethlehem becomes the king of kings and lord of lords. Out of the house of bread comes the bread of life himself, Jesus Christ. Now, why is this story so important? Ah, it's because for the most of us here in this room, we don't have a heritage in the house of Jacob. We are not descendants of Israelites. We are Gentiles. 
we are more inclined to be like the Moabites than we were the Israelites because of who we are. And yet, God chose Ruth, this young pagan woman who'd come out of a Moabite background to say, I want you to be in the lineage of the birth of my son. And so when you read about the descendants that gave birth to Jesus Christ, right there in that genealogy is Ruth. It's the whole concept of the kinsman redeemer. That's who Jesus Christ has become. And we, like Ruth the foreigner, spiritually poor and destitute because of our sin, have found life in Jesus Christ. Ruth's story is our story. It happened 3,000 years ago, but it's just as relevant as if it happened today. Can I tell you, when when times are hard, when life is tough, don't you walk away from God, don't you give up on God, don't you lose hope in God. Let him be your kinsman redeemer.